Welcome to this week's episode of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and this is going to be yet another one of our interview-only uh, based episodes of uh, Talk on Tech. And with me today, I have one of our former students, and um, and, and now one of the people that helps us on our advisory committee meeting, uh, Greg Napier. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me, Patrick. And uh, well, thanks for being here. And and we're going to talk today about. Um, Greg's trajectory coming here to MCTC, what he what he acquired here at MCTC, and also maybe even talk about some things that he may have already picked up in other uh, concentrations or other work experience that has helped him uh, propel himself into some of the IT jobs that he has today. So, I guess really the the first question, Greg, to start off would be like maybe. How did you get into computers? And and maybe if if that didn't happen till after your former work experience, whichever came first, tell about you know what you did before MCTC, and if computers were a big thing, how did that play in your other jobs, and when did you you know decide to come here? Well, getting into computers um, was actually my dad's idea. In 1982, my dad bought me an Apple IIc. Oh wow! Yeah, that uh, he had enough vision to see that this was somewhere, this was going somewhere, mm-hmm. and he bought it for me, and that kind of started me down the road of IT. I was basically I was the nerd of all my grade school class and everything, and all the way through junior high and high school, and that's kind of where I got started into IT. So was that? But I mean, was that mainly like? I like a computer because it's almost like a gaming console, or were you doing any programming or anything like that? Um, both. I was big into video games when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, but also on the side of like basic, I could see I could write programs and make it print my name or maybe do different routines and stuff like that, and I was intrigued by that, and it kind of sparked some creativity in that, going down that road. Okay, so what that was that was eighty two. You say and you you did it all through high school. Mm-hmm. So what did you end up doing after you finished high school? What what, what did you pursue? Uh, when I finished high school, I went to Southern West Virginia Community and Technical College. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically a two year plan for me to go there, and then I was going to go on to Marshall. Okay, I went to Marshall and I looked at the IT programs they had, and the one I chose was Ada. That was uh, basically it's an old programming language. Oh, okay. That was in 1995 when I finally made it to Marshall. I graduated high school in 93. Was that by chance the CSD department? Was that around the computer science and yes. software development department? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Um, I'll, after one year, I, I was going to Marshall. I didn't do so well. It wasn't because the what was being taught was beyond me it's just i had really lost interest like a lot of people do early going to college you know it's almost like you had senior itis in your first and second year of college yeah so after my first year i actually left uh marshall um i didn't finish of course um i got a job uh working at a local car dealership uh doing it work and managing an as 400 which is an IBM oh, wow. database. Yeah, it was very small. It was, right. it was basically the size of a small desk, desktop. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that's that's eventually what happened with the mainframe computers. They became, a lot of people had AS400s. Yeah. And now we're kind of going back to that. That's kind of what the cloud's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I worked there for about a year. Um, and the boss there was is actually a personal friend of mine. Um, he encouraged me to go to... Uh, United Talent, and said, won't you go there and... So what are, what are they? They are like a staffing center, basically. Oh, oh, like a Kelly yeah. service type yeah. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, except they actually have clients that may ask for some people that may have uh, some better uh, technical skills. Rather than just hiring, say, I need 100 people to sort parts, they'll sure. say, I actually need uh, someone with some IT skills that can do some IT work. Um and uh, they, they tested me, and that came out quite well, and I told them what I was interested in. They said, well, we think we may have somebody. And before too long, I was actually uh, sitting at a desk at NGK uh, for about a year working for United Talent. Now, NGK, that, that sounds familiar. Is that in, down in Pritchard? Is that correct? That is in uh, 
Pocatalico Systemville. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah they're a large uh, spark plug company. Okay. They're actually world they're nationwide now. Actually okay. they're worldwide, but yeah, yeah at the time they were very small. Because I thought for some reason they were kinda like a Mopar. I, I imagine mm-hmm. they were like performance for por- performance parts of some sort. So I guess the spark plug area there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um uh from there I worked there about a year and Doing much IT stuff? I was do- I was doing IT. Basically I was IT I was a help desk. Oh, okay. It was a very interesting experience because there was only two uh, NGKs, I believe, at the time. There was one in Detroit, which was headquarters, and then there was the one in Sissonville, which was a factory. Oh, okay. The one in Detroit was staffed mainly by Japanese, who huh. who are not from Detroit, d- obviously. Detroit. <laughs> they are from Japan, so they spoke spoke very poor English. Mm-hmm. And I was on the help desk, and every time that phone rang, everyone would look at it, and here I am as the temporary. They'd be like. Go ahead and get that, Greg. I'd be like, oh. And I'd answer it, and I would be on the phone with somebody from Japan who's in Detroit who's having an issue with their PC, that's been, and they speak about 15 words of English. So not only did you have a technology barrier, because you're possibly talking to someone who doesn't know a computer from a car, but then you also have the actual spoken language barrier. That is correct. It was... Uh, it was a challenging. It was a challenging job. I mean, it really was because it was also about the same time that Windows ninety eight was coming out, and we didn't use Windows ninety eight uh, in Sissonville, so it was a learning experience to say the least. Hmm. But yeah, it was a. It was a lot of fun. Wow. Okay. Uh, after about a year of that, um, Toyota, the Toyota Motor Manufacturing, West Virginia. Mm-hmm. They were building the plant, and they were doing interviews, and I went to uh, Putnam County uh, Vocational Center, and i done all the work. i done the interview process. It took about six to eight months, and I got a call and got a job offer for uh, working at Toyota as a factory worker. Okay, so they, they weren't necessarily looking for an IT person at the time. No, they were not, um, and I found out what they told me what they were paying, and I based my decision on money because mm-hmm. it was a very large pay upgrade at the time. And I took it. Um, and I was there for 11 years. Actually, as a factory worker, I drove four. Wow. I, I assembled engines. I tested engines. I drove fork trucks. Uh, I worked in machining. So I did a lot of work in a lot of different parts there at that time. And I never touched a PC or anything hardly that old time. Wow. Yeah. And that kept me there until 2010. Hmm. And then what happened in 2010? Well, 2010, uh, I was getting unhappy with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was getting bored because the job is very monotonous. Right. You you do the same task every 57 seconds. Like, okay, you got these three bolts and these two pieces. You put them on. That's what you do for two hours. And that really wasn't me, and it really wasn't interesting enough to keep me from actually i guess i'd say i got bored yeah you, um, you did want more you want yeah. more stimuli yeah absolutely um so after about a year of feeling that way i started looking at getting back into it and i was it was kind of daunting because it you know i had a job and i was making sixty five thousand dollars a year and i was looking at getting back in it and i'm like well i'm at the time i'm 36 years old um, how am I going to get a job in IT as a 36-year-old? It's been out of the field for 13, you know, 12 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, talked it over with my wife, and could we do it? Could we not? If I left, if I went back to college, financially, it come to a point financially it did make se- make some sense that I, we could actually probably get by with me being out of work for a year or two. Right. And I walked in one day and just told him, I said, I'm giving you my two weeks notice and uh, walked out of work. And I was like, well, what do I do now? That was November of 2010. So, so you had already decided you wanted to uh, get back into it and you gave him a two week notice before you even know, knew where or what you were going to do. Oh, absolutely. I had, (laughs) I had, (laughs) I didn't plan that very well. I had absolutely no plan when I walked out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, 
I come home, my wife looked at me and said, so what now? Like, oh, I guess I need to go to college. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I started looking online, and I looked for Marshall's uh, Community College, Mm -hmm. and I found it had changed names to Mount West, and I called the uh, the registrar's office, found out what I needed to do, and then I think January 3rd, I finally made it down there and applied went through all their i couldn't get my act scores because my atc scores were 20 years old right <laughs> they were unattainable they said so i called uh marshall and southern west virginia community technical college had them send my records and i applied for classes wow and, and then did you start like that week later i started that yeah that spring i started mm-hmm. um course all the programs here mm-hmm. they start usually in the fall yeah so i took general education classes just to get them out of the way Yep. Um, I really didn't have a plan on what I was going to take, what courses or. Yeah, I wonder when you first came here if you if you already had your sights set on an area because some people I talk to they're like, well, I came here for this and then I took this one class to you or to Loker and I found found out that wow, I really like that and then I focused. Well, what happened was um, I believe someone had suggested I go talk to Randy Jones. Mm Hmm. And I went up and talked to him, and uh, he gave me a couple paper pieces of paper. He said, here's our Microsoft plan, here's our Cisco plan. And I turned them over and looked at the back. And on the back was average pay salaries for the jobs. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, Microsoft makes more money. I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was how I, I yeah. came to that. So I enrolled in that those courses. Mm-hmm. As I sat and looked at it, and I started – because I took spring, I took so much uh, general education that was required, I had a lot of openings. Right. And I thought, well, I can probably take these other four Cisco classes and get them in because it looks like it all matches up. So I sat down and wrote my own, basically, course syllabus. Mm-hmm. And I came in, and they freaked out a little bit that I had done that. You, you kind of wrote out the roadmap you wanted to do for the next two years? Yes. Yeah, and they were... I guess a little bit taken back down with the uh, in the admissions office, and they're like, "Oh, can we make a copy of this?" So yeah, they were probably really impressed. <laughs> yeah, I maybe I think it was a little nervous. I took so much initiative. I think they were. I guess I don't know if they were afraid of maybe I would miss something or something wouldn't work. Right. But um, it they let me stick to it, so I went with it from there. Well, great. And so at that point, you had decided you were going the Microsoft route. That's right. But I do know at some point from experience that you decide to start uh, dabbling in the Cisco side, too. So what what prompts that? Um, The second Cisco class, we really got to start getting into the equipment. I I guess I could say I was somewhat familiar with Microsoft because I was IT support for Windows 95 and 98, and Mm -hmm. I know it was drastically different later. But... As I started getting into the Cisco side and the actual technology side um, and actually getting my hands on equipment, Mm -hmm. I really started enjoying that. And that was Mm -hmm. this kind of, I guess, because I came to it first and I really delved into it pretty hard. Right. Um, That's, I don't know, it just kind of, something just clicked. And I was like, wow, I really like this. I like networking. So you ended up going through the security option then, basically, right? Yeah, it kind of. I made my own, but well, I mean, I guess what I was what I was thinking in my head for people who've for people who might actually know about our curriculums or, or whatnot, the Microsoft ones, somebody can usually pretty well turn on a dime and decide to do them. The yes. way I do the classes, they're really some some kind of boot camp classes that are a year long. But with Cisco, you really needed to make sure you were upfront about it because you have four different classes that span four semesters, so that's two years. Right. So you did already take Cisco one probably that that next fall, yes, your I did. second semester. So you were already looking at that path, or like you said, maybe maybe you had a gap. Maybe it was serendipity that mm-hmm. you just happened to take Cisco one to kind of fill in the gap. Yeah, I decided that I would just fill in. The gaps I had made with the general education I had to take in the spring, right. that's where the Cisco came in. I said, I oh, can okay. actually take these four Cisco classes because I meet the requirements. Okay. So I'll go ahead and I thought, I thought that'd make me more attractive for the workforce. Yeah, that I, definitely. I, I would have both. Right. And then for whatever reason, I never really looked at the security option, or I probably right. would have just done that. Instead, I ended up 
I guess the difference is the last three Microsoft classes at the time. Yeah, the last three Microsoft classes, and depending on depending on at what point we were at, possibly my storage and mm-hmm. my virtualization class. But I, th- I think really five classes is all you really have a difference of. Yeah. So, yeah, and so so you went you went through those options. Uh, you did go through all my Microsoft classes for two thousand eight. Uh, you went through um, the the Cisco classes along the way. Did you? Did you start to accrue any certifications under your belt? Um, the first certification I got was, I believe it was um, the wireless certification, the CWMP. Oh, you went with you went with the the that one. Okay, I was yeah, thinking, I actually got that one first. Because I know, like, uh, I think it's normally the TS that he does. Or TS. It's the C- oh. CWMP is the, I think it's Certified Wireless Network Professionals. Oh, okay. That's the name of the organization. I see. It's the yeah. CWTS. Yeah, it's the Certified Wireless Technical, Technical spe- Specialist. Technical Specialist, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. And then after that, I went and sat for the Cisco Certified ent- Entry Exam, the CSENT. After and, the first two semesters. Yes, yeah. after the first two semesters, and I passed it. Um, that was the decision I made based on um, I wanted to see what a Cisco test looked like before I ever went and sat for my CCNA. That makes sense. I didn't want to go in cold, mm-hmm. so I went ahead and took uh, the CCNT just to get a feel for it. Well, I know a lot of students want to do that anyway because it it takes you four semesters to get through that content. That's a lot to try to retain in your head and oh, keep, yeah. keep fresh. And plus, you go and sit for the CCNA, that's, I believe, $250. Yes. That, that's a lot of money to gamble on one attempt. And so if you go ahead and do the uh, the ICND-1 or the CCENT, C-C-E-N-T, um, it's not going to be as much money. Uh, you're not gambling as much money, I guess, up front. If you get that part, you're already one step up towards, towards the CCNA. So that right. makes sense. Right. And I did the path, I think, similar to Scott Nicholas suggest is rather than taking the bridge taking the whole ccna at the end at the end that's what mm-hmm. i did when i after i took my ccn i was still here when i took my ccna i was in the middle of my fourth semester right and i went ahead and sat for the ccna and i passed it and i took the whole test i did not take the bridge yeah you you could have taken the bridge i could have taken the bridge just been the second half right but i i've actually heard a lot of people say that that it makes sense because really um while it's fresh in your memory, it makes sense to go ahead and try to set for the full CCNA because in three years, you're going to have to set for the full CCNA whether you did the bridge or not. That's right. So let's go ahead and try to see it while I'm fresh to see if I can actually knock it out now. And then that way, you'll be like you said, you get the experience of being prepared to know what to expect next time. Yeah. And yeah. I will say this. The CCNA is no joke. It is the hardest test I've ever taken. Really? Yes, it really is. I've, I've set for three certification tests now and that was the hardest and i've heard other people other uh, network engineers have tell, told me that the ccna is the hardest test if you get past it it's a lot easier to progress through other cisco certifications because the tests are nowhere near that hard so maybe they're trying to weed them out up front you think yeah, they're trying to i guess they're trying to stop people to door you need mm-hmm. to really be serious about this if you're going to go down this path because if you're going they're going to put their name um next to yours mm-hmm. as basically you can put cisco certified beside your name they want to make sure that uh businesses and other it professionals know that you had to know what you was doing to pass that right i've, I've heard of a lot of students like to, to study for the test they would go on ebay and stuff and try to buy them some used routers or use packet tracer so they could look at the hands-on ability just not have the book work but also have the practical work as yes well. Yeah, there's the simulations on that test are very difficult, and I would um, I would suggest Packet Tracer. Mm-hmm. You can pass the entire CCNA with Packet Tracer because basically you're going to see something very similar in their simulations. It looks very similar to Packet Tracer, so at least be, you would be familiar with what to do when you see a simulation. Because once the test starts, you can't ask questions. Well, and I've I've been told that like Packet Tracer. The Packet Tracer is such a full-fledged, powerful program. Uh, Scott Nicholas has told me that when he's gone to like Cisco Live, when he's gone to Cisco Headquarters, they've actually pulled up Packet Tracer files that shows the entire mapping of their own data center. Cisco lays out their data center in Packet Tracer. Oh yeah. I mean, like when 
I think that's called eating your own dog food. When you have something powerful enough that can allow you to plan for your own network mm-hmm. and you are a multi-million dollar company, that must be some seriously powerful software. Oh, yeah. It's, I've done a lot with it. You can do VoIP telephony with it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very cool. You can actually install a phone in the program and have one dial another and the lo- on your screen the little phone will light up when it's ringing. Really? So, yeah, it goes that deep into it. It's a very cool program. I think I've, I think I've also heard... You can actually connect physical switches to it and get them to communicate with the virtual switches inside of Packet Tracer as well? Yes, you can. So that's, wow, that's very, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then you and plus, you know, on the Microsoft side, anytime you're installing stuff, you always got to have all these client access licenses. But in Packet Tracer, it's virtualized stuff. So yeah. your, your, um, your barrier to entry price-wise is not really there. As long as you're at an academy, they have access to the Packet Tracer uh, program, and you know we are a Cisco Academy here, so right. you're able to get the software absolutely as part of as part of your tuition. Yep, it's a great piece of software to have, especially studying. I, I used it a lot when I was studying for my CCNA. Very nice. So what about uh, so after that, you've got three certifications under your belt. Yes, you I do. Go, you go ahead and graduate with. Um, which which of our options is network administration? Network administration. That was okay. the Microsoft option. Yeah, you go and finish that off. Um, and you've already taken your CCNA and your uh, CCENT and, and your wireless. Um, and then at some point near the end, you do an internship, correct? I do. Um, my fourth semester, well, I guess it would be my fifth semester. It was the spring semester, the year I was going to graduate. Yes. Um, I did a internship at Alpha Technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, I passed my CCNA while I was out of Alpha. Oh, I see. So after I actually took it there, mm-hmm. um, and when I, as soon as I passed it, they offered me a job. Very nice. Yeah. So they see, they knew the value of the CCNA because they obviously are a, a large IT company, and they offered me a job on the spot, and I agreed. So, yeah. and I mean it, it's it's always nice to hear the success stories of. Of students going out to you know internship companies and and it working out to where they're able to get a job from there, I feel we have a pretty high high rate of that. Um, but um, but I know you're also an exceptional student, so <laughs> that that probably definitely helped as well. So um, how how was your time at, at Alpha compared to the other IT stuff you'd done previously? Um, Alpha was very different than what I had done in the past IT wise. Oh really? Yeah, I mean. Before I worked for, I worked for a car dealership. Um, I worked for a factory, basically in GK. When I worked at Alpha, I worked for two hundred companies, effectively oh, yeah. because of they have a large customer and client list. So anytime the phone rings, you never know who it is. You never know what it was going to be or what it was going to be about. You answered it and you went from there. So it was it was very different having be having such a large customer base i'm used to having maybe 100 people but you know i'm looking after and now i'm looking after over 100 customers which is 100 companies and they all have their own people so and their different needs and their different needs yeah whereas like you were saying if you were at the car dealership you knew up front whether you had exchange email server or not exactly that was something you didn't have to worry about otherwise it's not like anyone's going to walk in one day and go hey what do you know about exchange but when you were at alpha there may be a handful of companies that have Exchange. A handful of other companies might have another technology. Someone else may be doing virtualization. So you really had to to play it by ear to figure out all the different needs you were going to have to facilitate. Absolutely. Um, and Alpha would like sell service contracts, and it would just they would just sell service hours. They will sell 20, 20 hours to you of service a month for support. That covers everything IT. I mean, it's laid out in a contract. We'll cover all IT needs. We may not know what they have until they call and ask for support for it. So it was a good opportunity to learn on the fly. Yeah, I mean, you had to be quick on your feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a a really good experience for me, and I think it would be a good experience for anybody who's graduating uh, to try to get into a company like that because when you work the help desk, it really – it makes you learn, you know, Mm -hmm. and – of course, if you're not if you're in IT, you have to be willing to learn. There's no way you can just say, "Well, I'm just going to be happy where I am," because the world, IT world will leave you. It does. It kind of yeah. sets sail, and you just got to make sure you're on the boat. 
Well, yeah, I've always, I've always said, even even when students come in here to begin with, I say, hopefully you like computers. Yes. Because if, if, you, if you don't, if you don't want to be a lifelong learner, you really should go and pursue something like math. Because, you know, math, Pythagorean's theorem is over 300 years old. <laughs> we don't have anything technology-wise in IT that's over 300 years old. No. For us, 300 years old is like nine months. We're <laughs> constantly having to say, up, stay up to date. Because our clients, the people who are paying us, are, are saying, I got this new technology. Can you help me with it? And if you can't, they're going to pay somebody else. Yeah. So I agree. It is a, a lifelong adventure that you have. And I think it's, I think it's great the, the way that, that Alpha worked out for you because I, I do find some students will, will come here and they'll like computers. But they also sometimes will come here and go, oh, well, I learned Microsoft. So... I guess that's what's going to be out there. Or I learned Cisco networking stuff. I guess that's what's going to be out there. Whereas I'm sure that once you left, you might have encountered Macs, Linux. You might have encountered Juniper network machines. And it's like, I didn't learn this at MCTC. But the idea is, I learned about Cisco equipment so I can take those skills that I learned and compare it over to how it will work on Juniper. It's like you've got tools in the toolbox it may not be a big enough screwdriver, but you have a screwdriver. You can find a way to make it work. Yeah. You can build off of your experience there. So um, I agree that I, I think ATS would be great for that, or ATS or Alpha yeah. Technologies would be great Either. for that. For the idea that um, you need to be aware that it's a big, big, wide world, and it helps to know a little bit about everything, or at least know where to look to find the answer. Yeah. Yeah, because that gets you paid. Yes, it does. Yeah. So after uh, your experience at uh, at Alpha, what what happened after that? Um, I was at Alpha for a little bit over two years, uh-huh. and I started looking um, basically based on uh, salary. Mm-hmm. I started looking because um, I felt I could make more money doing what I was doing, mm-hmm. and. I started looking online and I stumbled across um, a job offer um, opportunity with the West Virginia Department of Education. They were looking for a network engineer, and I read through everything and I said, "Well, I I meet all the requirements, mm-hmm. so it won't hurt to apply." Do you happen to remember, just out of curiosity, how many years of experience they were wanting? They were wanting three years' experience. Okay, because what well, what I was going to lead up to say is that this kind of relates to this. Sorry to cut you off, but mm-hmm. um, your job at the car dealership, being IT, may not have paid a lot of money. No. Your, your car at um, NGK doing some IT may not have paid a lot of money for what IT was. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you had two years at Alpha, you still had that experience there, too, that you could use as IT experience That's to right. help you land a better job. So... Another point I'd like to make real fast is that a lot of times, sometimes our students, um, maybe maybe they don't enjoy their internship. Maybe they're like, I, I want to get paid the big bucks. You need the experience under your belt to do that. So at wherever you're at job-wise, if you're doing IT, that's experience. Yes, it and, is. And you do, and it's hard to think of it at that moment, but years down the road, you can look at that and go, I got paid a lot more than cash mm-hmm. for that job. I got paid an experience, too. Because this is going to help you land a better job with more with the experience that you had. Because I was curious to know if your two years at Alpha was enough, or did the other stuff help? And it looks like the other stuff did help. The other stuff did help. Yeah, yeah. I was about six months short on the requirement for mm-hmm. three years' experience. Um, but I don't. I can't take away uh, anything from Alpha from everything they taught me because I learned so much. In those two years, it was just amazing how much I learned while I was there. Uh, it's a great place to to get your feet wet, to learn. Um, and if you want to stay, then there's opportunities to move up in the company, too. So Yeah. I mean, even if it had been an internship, you're saying the idea is you learned a lot more than the salary they would have paid you. It's yeah. like the experience, the the fact that you're in a different environment than before. Mm-hmm. You may have even like picked up tricks on how to search the internet for, for, for tips and stuff. There's so many soft skills that you oh, probably yeah. got as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, communicating with people, 
working in like project based groups mm-hmm. that's really that's really really important i found in it is being able to work with people sometimes you may not even get along with them that well but if you're able to work with them and you're able to finish projects because a lot of things in it are driven by two things money and time we have this much money we have this much time mm-hmm. so you know you always don't have the answer but someone in the group probably does so right yeah i mean i just i hate to keep belaboring the point i can keep on having to make it sound so like uh i don't know like uh, uh spiritual or or like like buddha but there's always something positive to come out of any job that you have yes you you, you you're getting something more than money and in your case what we're seeing is that extra benefit there helped you be able to get past the two and a half years of experience that you would have only had mm-hmm. at Alpha to go ahead and land this newer job. So just saying it out there for people who are starting off, who are like, I'm getting paid crap at this job. You are probably getting paid in ways you're not even thinking about. Every single day, the experiences you're getting, that's going to help you land that bigger and better job. You're not going to walk out there and get a $60,000 job right out of school a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But what you're at right now is going to be the stepping stone to help you get to that point. Oh, absolutely. In IT, businesses are looking for experience. Mm-hmm. And there's companies out there that are looking for people with no experience. So it's like a ladder. You have to start start at the bottom. You know, unless, very, like you said, very rarely do you find a job that's no experience and they're looking for somebody who uh, can fill a role. So. And what would you say? What would you say about help desk? Because I I also hear students go, oh, I don't want to start help desk. You know, I want to be the network admin. I want to be the superhero. But what, what's your viewpoint looking back now on your help desk experience? Hmm. I have mixed feelings about it. Okay. Because it's very strange for me to say I don't like talking to people on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's uh, that was my only qualm about it. I mean. It doesn't really, when you think about it, it really doesn't matter if that person is sitting in front of you or they're on the other end of the phone. They have a problem. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're upset. Sometimes they're not. You know, most people are, once you talk to them for a minute, they're very agreeable and, you know, they're, they're actually calling you for help. So, um, I don't know. My help desk experience is... Uh, Did you ever have to do any email uh, like email support for, for that? Because I would think, I agree with you, that when you're, when you're person to person, there's definitely something that gets lost in translation when you go over the phone. Yes. It becomes more impersonal. And I would think it would become even more impersonal if it had to be web correspondence. You would just lose even more. Right. So did you ever have to deal with that? No. Um, almost all our... Um Help desk is by phone, mm-hmm. and we would actually do like remote desktop sessions to the pe- people's PCs anytime okay. we could. That way, you get two things out of it: one, uh, you can actually see their problem, mm-hmm. and two, you can educate them mm-hmm. on this happened and this is why, and this is why you shouldn't do what you shouldn't do, and this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. So, um, the reactive and the preventative, right? Right. That would. Uh, that would be the biggest thing I got out of working on the help desk was actually probably teaching the teaching the customer mm-hmm. on the proper way to do things. Yeah. So and that's that's good to do. I mean, I think in the the podcast I did with Scott and Nicholas, we talked about the fact that there there are still IT people out there, unfortunately, who who think that um, I guess they just don't have the confidence. Like they don't want to give the the customers passwords to the machines or something. They just think that, well, if if I hold the keys of the castle and I'm the only IT guy that has the experience, they'll have to call me to get service back. And it's it's not going to take food out of your mouth to explain to the end user why why installing a particular piece of software was bad because you don't know where it came from and you're going to prevent malware the next time around. They'll they'll like the fact that hey they're they're explaining to me what's going on. So I mean that makes you a personable uh, individual and and that makes them want to call you back and pay you more money. Right. So don't don't think that you have to be high and mighty and that I can't divulge any of my information because <laughs> that's job security. No, I, I think really helping the customer out through it uh, can be helpful. And then a lot of times too, 
I don't know if your all's environment was the case, but I've seen scenarios where people will call back to help desk and they'll say, can I speak to Greg? Oh yeah. And, and yes. you, what, what the business stance is, well, technically we have five people here and you just can't technically call and specifically talk to Greg. You have to talk to whoever you get. Yeah, but I really want to talk to Greg because he's a, re- he's a really good rapport with me and, and you know, you build these relationships and they keep on calling back and they know who they want. Right. So, uh, well, Alpha recognized that and they would allow customers to do that because it, it made a customer more comfortable. It yeah. made them feel better about it, that they're getting the person they want and the person they trust. Right. Um, I will say this, though, uh, about anyone who has hesitations about working on a help desk. Mm-hmm. It does get easier, and it, it gets easier a lot quicker than you think. After the first couple weeks, it's, it becomes second nature just to talk to people. Yeah, because yeah. they may not be accustomed to talking to people that much, especially these days. Right. It seems like everyone texts. No yeah. one ever talks in person, so it might feel a little bit different for uh, for a younger generation. Oh, absolutely. Uh, communication by voice seems to be becoming a lost art almost. Yeah, I, so, I agree. Yeah, I agree. so it it and other there's you're not on an island when you do that. There's you know there's four other people in there, mm-hmm. and there's a help desk manager. And they will work with you and teach you and help you, you know, talk to people on the phone. They'll even get on the phone with you, with them, with a customer. So, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunities to be trained and, yeah. you know, be helped. Well, fantastic. So, so you applied for this, this other position uh, that you looked for that needed three years' experience, and, and you got the position? I did. Um, I left work one day, and I drove to my interview. Um, I interviewed for the job. It took about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. They asked me various crazy questions. I mean, I was asked, what's your favorite colored wire? Uh, wire? Yeah. And okay. I, that actually threw me off. I, I like, I was just lost words. I couldn't even talk. He said, <laughs> oh, I'm just asking that just, just to get you to calm down. I'm like, oh, I didn't need that. <laughs> yeah. Cause my mind just started racing. Um, but I got through the, that part of the, uh, interview and that was, um, basically that was more like an HR side of it. Then I got right. through tactical. There's always an IT interview. You have more of a personal interview and a networking side interview, a tactical interview. Sure. Um, and I went through the tactical interview and they said, well, thank you you know they thank me and let me ask any questions i had um uh, they said we will be in touch and they escorted me out and i was waiting at the elevator and one of them came out and said hey can you come here for a second when you ask something I was like well sure i walked in and they said have a seat and i sat down and they said well you are the most qualified person that we've had and uh we'd like to offer you a job right now wow that's amazing that was and they said, now, if you you can go home, think about it, talk to your, you know, talk to your wife about it. I said, no, I'm comfortable making it now. <laughs> so I said, yes. Wow. So. So I'm curious. Um, well, just out of curiosity, even with the alpha job and even, well, I mean, the alpha job, you're already there as an, as an intern. Um, on the technical side, did they make you do any equipment or were they kind of basically throwing out hypotheticals? If the customer has this problem, what would you do to troubleshoot it? Um, yeah. It was basically, uh, it was more like general knowledge question. Basically, it's like, you have this certification. Let's see if you actually know it. Yeah, okay. You know, what's DNS? How does DNS work? Because, you know, it's easy to ask hypothetical questions, but there's 10,000 possible solutions. But if someone asks you what DNS is and how DNS actually works, and you can tell them they know you can figure out a problem. Because mm-hmm. if you know how it works, you know how to fix it. Yeah. So you so can, you can it, tell it's broken. Exactly. If you have the tools in the toolbox, then exactly. you can use them for multiple occasions. That's that's what they were interested in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've seen Alpha's interview process was very specific questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this, you know, someone calls you. I'll just give you a quick example. Sure. Um, someone calls the help desk and they tell you they can't, uh, their phones are down at their office. Right, and they need some help. You know, what would be the first question you would ask? Well, the answer would be, "How are you calling me? If your phones aren't working, how are you calling?" Well, that's a good question. That's yeah. that's actually it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's a question to see if you're going to overthink the problem because yeah. it could just be, you know, they can't get calls in, but they can call out. That almost reminds me of that old uh, urban legend. At this point. 
about the person that called supposedly compact. Oh yes, and and, and their computer didn't work, and they're like, well. Well, is is the monitor on? They're like, I don't know what that is. And like, well, is the the TV screen? Is the TV screen on? And they're like, no, there's nothing on there. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, uh, can you look behind the computer to see if it's maybe plugged up? And they said that I can't can't see behind the you know the desk. <laughs> and like, well, okay. Well, can you get a you know turn the light on or something? Like, no, I can't see behind the desk because the power's out. So it, it was it was like, <laughs> as you said, don't overthink it. Let's first ask. Is it plugged in? Right. Is the power on? And so kind of in your case, if the phones are down, how are you calling me? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a physical level exactly. uh, question that you got to think about. Yeah. So very cool. So um, so do you do you see that this job feels different than, than Alpha? I mean, I know I know this job in the fact that you are not more of a, a consultant slash hosting provider now. Now you kind of you serve one business. I'm right. sure it's it's back to more how it was for the car dealership, but it is. But in a way, it's still very similar to Alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, being a networking, we're all, there's only two network engineers for the Department of Education for the whole state. Wow! At the state level, um, I am responsible for probably 500 routers. Wow! And the entire it's like every school in the state has a router. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the point of demarcation for me. Uh, that's where I stop. The school is responsible for their internal network, but I'm responsible for the router. So every single school has a router, and I'm responsible for every single one. Right. In a way, they are the customers. So yeah. they call me when they have an issue. So in a way, it's similar to Alpha, but it's different because the res- my responsibilities have changed mm-hmm. because now I'm more like a network administrator. Yeah. Than before, I was more like, I felt more like network design, maybe, and uh, what we call in the business, break fix. Mm-hmm. That I was more of that. Now, I'm more like a network administrator, where I oversee everything. Yeah, like someone's already designed the whole layout, and it's not like new schools are popping up left and right in no. this case. So, so, you've got a pretty fixed network that you just have to maintain now. I just have to maintain. And we do that, uh, just to give you a, a G4... Uh, a brief overview of it mm-hmm. is like there is what they call Reese's. There is eight Reese's yep. in the state and they all have so many counties under them. And then each county uh, has its own IT staff and they're the ones that go to the end that falls to the schools. Mm-hmm. So it backs up the chain. When a school has a problem, they will call their, uh, their county. Right. And then when the county will call Risa, and mm-hmm. if Risa can't resolve it, then they call us. So basically, I'm the last line of defense. So any any issue they have, I have to I have to have the answer. Right. So it's, there's a lot of pressure to it too, but it doesn't feel as much pressure because I know my answer is the final answer. Mm-hmm. So if I decide that the router needs replaced or we need to make a change to correct it, uh, it's what actually happens. When I worked at Alpha. I would make a decision. I can't make decisions like that because these are other customers. So I have to consult with a customer. I have to consult with my managers because there's going to be probably uh, hours involved, which will be billable hours, mm-hmm. uh, or it would go against service contract, or if we have thought if it's a managed or unmanaged uh, decision that I'm making. Right. So, But in this case, it's your equipment, it's, basically. Yes, it's me. I'm the one responsible for all of it. So mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the last line in the sand. Yeah. But I imagine that, like you said earlier, all of that disperse uh, technologies that all those customers at Alpha had got you in the mindset of being being prepared, like you said, to work on the fly and go with the flow and figure it out to where now, when you have 500 routers, I'm sure not all the schools had the exact same software. So it is like no. having 500, 500 customers. They may not be that dispersed, you know, in, in, in differences, but um, you still are probably going to be dealing with some weird questions that you may have actually heard about on the periphery at that alpha. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, it's, I will say this. It's, I was much more comfortable starting this job than I, I mean, it looked more daunting than I was at uh, when I started at Alpha. So a lot of that experience really paid off. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, not having, knowing that, well, I've, I've probably done something like this before. So, Well, cool. 
So um, I'd, I'd like to like to ask you if you have any uh, interesting stories from the trenches uh, <laughs> that you want to discuss. You don't you obviously no names, but uh, I know Scott and I when we discussed doing IT work, he he told a lot of interesting stories. And so if you have any interesting doozies, uh, I'd gladly like to hear them. I'm sure other people like to hear them as well. Yeah, there's a there's a couple out there. Um, when I was an intern at Alpha, um, it was Martin Luther King Day, um, and I was scheduled to go to um, – it's a local college. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, all you're going to do is lay out some phones. Okay. So I go and – uh, me and another gentleman. I'm laying out phones. He's setting up his uh, call managers, a Cisco call manager. So those will be like internet phones. We're not right. We're not talking about like calling the telephone company and setting up telco lines. We're oh, talking no. about this is network phones. Network phones. This is full Cisco uh, VoIP okay. solution. Mm-hmm. And I'm setting all these phones out, and I'm noticing I'm like, where is the other phones? Like, well, they don't have any. Well, what they do before? Like. Well, they only had four phones before. I was like, really? Yeah. So I started asking more and more questions about them. And so an, an educational institution, which when I think of an educational institution, I don't think of one building. I probably think of a lot of buildings. They had four telephones that people could call from the outside world to talk to them. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was astonished. And they said, yeah, they called us last year and we gave them 15 phones as loaners. So we had set up a temporary phone solution of 15. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started asking more questions about well, more about their network and their technology they have. Uh, and I discovered that up until recently, they never had a domain. They had a work group. Okay. Well, I mean, to just, just to throw out there, if people don't know what a work group is, at your house, you have a work group. If yes. you have... If you have five computers at your house, each computer is like an island of its own. There are user accounts on each computer, and if I create a, a user account on one computer and I make the password Patrick, and on the other one I create the same name computer uh, account, but I make the password be Smith, they're different. They're not associated. If I change one's password, the other one doesn't change. They're islands in the stream. How many computers did they have on this work group? Oh, that was between five hundred and a thousand. That was yeah. <laughs> which, which means, I mean, I would think potentially if a new student came to your institution, someone or some way, you're going to have to manually create a user account on those five hundred or one thousand computers individually. They had a script they would run on every single computer, and it would create a user account and with a with an associated password for every single student and every faculty for that semester. So every computer would have a username for every single person that went to that college. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, just to do a quick little refresh for people who people don't understand domains, the whole idea of the domain is the computer trusts the higher power. We have this thing called a domain controller. We trust it to know what it's doing, and you would create those accounts one time on that domain and then the person could go and sit at any of those thousand computers and that one account will be on the domain and you're saying they created a gigantic script that had every single user needed to be used on the network and when a new machine was imaged it ran that and i'm i'm thinking about password resets yes think of i mean if my password needed to reset it would need to reset on over a thousand computers my understanding was they had like a log and if someone said they they didn't reset passwords. They just told them what their password was again. That was the only way they could. And that, from I mean, from a security standpoint, that's crazy because if there's a log that has my password, how could anyone ever accuse me of doing something on the network when people obviously can figure out what my password is and they could break in as me? Oh, yeah. Non-repudiation is an issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, you all upgraded them from four phones to how many? I'm going to say 150. Oh, okay. One so, in every yeah. single office. Mm-hmm. Every uh, member of faculty had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the whole shebang. They were, mm-hmm. you know, we had worked with the phone company. They had over 100 uh, 
what we call DIDs, which is basically a phone number you know associated mm-hmm. to a line and they had over a hundred different numbers they could call so every you know multiple members of the staff could have their own number and such for calling in yeah that that seems more reasonable yeah um was this by chance also the same place where you had to do kind of like a, a wireless survey actually um i know what you're leading to uh mm-hmm. i discovered that when i was setting out the phones because we had to plug the phones up Mm-hmm. into the the network into ports. the into the network and i'm tracing this cable and it disappears behind a bookshelf and i follow it around the bookshelf and it comes out and it goes behind into into a cabinet like why is this cable going to a cabinet and I open up the cabinet and there was a rogue access point sitting there someone had plugged up a linksys so they can give themselves wireless which from another security standpoint is not good because what type of security do they have on that Linksys router? You know, how are people being able to get on your network? Hopefully, it's not like a Starbucks open access Wi-Fi because then anybody can get on and do whatever traffic they want on your network. Oh, absolutely! And unfortunately, this was also the CFO's office. So, oh, so they were kind of higher up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. almost kind of should have known better, probably. Oh, yeah, that was uh, a like, wow. I. I got wow. blown away. I didn't know what to do being an intern, and I just I plugged up my phone and I plugged it back up, and I notified them, said, "Hey, uh, right, someone's got a rogue access point back there," and I told them the office <laughs> number, and like you all can handle that however y'all want. Wow. Yeah. Man, oh man. Um, I think I remember this may have been the same place, but I think you might have told me some horror stories too of um, walking into someone's wiring closet. Yeah, this is the same place. And, and you know, if, if you've ever seen pictures on the Internet, when you go into a wiring closet, you typically have a rack where um, horizontally there are switches and routers mounted. And they're within, what, three inches of each other maybe oh, yeah. at most. Mm-hmm. And so you're having to plug a cable from one to the other one. And you only really need like three inches, but sometimes you'll buy, what, about a six or an eight inch cable? Six inch cable, maybe a foot. Yeah, and so it doesn't stick out too far. Um, how long of cable did they buy? Uh, they had one closet had 300 ports in it, and they had 14 and 20-foot cables. So they were it was like spaghetti on the ground? Yes, they didn't even try to run them through any kind of cable management at all. They just plugged them up and let them hang, and it actually looks like they braided them when they put them together. It was... Which could not could not be good possibly for crosstalk or quality of, no. of, of signal. And, and just trying to find a cable would take five minutes to trace one cable and that probably seems like a hazard too i would think like i mean maybe not so much a fire hazard but like a safety hazard yeah of some it's a safety sort. hazard it's easy to be working on something and not realize you stepped in a loop and walk away and at the time their racks were not bolted to the floor someone could have easily pulled a rack over oh wow but on, on top of them possibly. on top yeah absolutely um they did let us fix it though we actually um, we rewired every single wiring closet. Did they say why they chose to buy ten foot cables? Was it kind of like we're going to need a cable for a jack of all trades, and we yes. think the common denominator might be around ten feet? That's exactly what they did. They said, "Well, this is just what we bought, and this is what we had, so we just plugged it up." I spent six hours cleaning up four closets, <laughs> unplugged every single closet, ran every single cable individually, wow. and ran it through wiring management. Wow. Yeah. They got their money's worth. They did. They definitely did. That's impressive. Yeah. So any other uh, any, any other interesting stories uh, away from that institution? <laughs> yeah. This is actually a different educational institution. Um, we were brought in to do an assessment of an educational institution. Um, they asked us to take a look at what they have and basically develop a quote for redoing their network okay and that sounds simple enough we a couple of us go down we start doing a walkthrough and we're in a wiring in one of the main wiring closets and we're looking at the all the servers they're like there's like three servers set here they're like desktop style servers but they're all stacked on top of each other and the bottom two ain't on like well what are these it's well they died and we got a new one okay so what does this one do then they go oh we don't know wait they mean like 
What what does the third machine the the third machine that's replaced the other two? What is it even for? Is that what they're asking? Yeah, well, that's what we were asking, and they uh-huh. didn't know what their servers did. Well, I mean, I would I would assume at that point it's doing nothing because if you order a new server from Dell and it's black and it looks like the other one when you plug it up. It's not going to have your specialized software that your other one that Dodd had on it. You're going to have a machine on the network, but God knows what it's going to be used for. Well, this institution didn't have centralized IT. Uh-huh. Let's say the math department would do their own IT, and they would tell everybody else to stay away. We'll handle it. Were they on a domain, or were they on a work group? They were on multiple domains. Oh, okay. Well, at least they've got some centralized yes. administration, yes. even though it's decentralized. Right. And they would, if something would break, they would fix it themselves. So the main IT guy over the entire campus really didn't know what anything did because it was all secret squirrel. And they were, so their networking situation was pretty poor. Mm-hmm. And they were wanting us to basically centralize everything well i would think there was a lot of redundancies yeah because when you have multiple domains that means multiple domain controllers and if we can all join one domain it's good to have at least two for fault tolerance but you may not need 15 no no so um that was it was a lot of that as talking so what's this do we don't know what's this do we don't know like you ever wonder we actually asked them say you ever wonder what happens you have a failure he'd be like yeah it wouldn't go over well that was the response that was that was i mean everybody does it different but it was like this is what can happen if you know you got to have some kind of centralized control right yeah yeah and you were being asked to come in and try to make a quote on something that they couldn't even explain to you what currently was there yeah so that i mean you know you were going to figure it out before they were yeah (laughs) the uh and actually the quote came to i know i think just for equipment was mm-hmm. over four million dollars really yeah why why I mean, that that sounds like an astronomical amount of money um what was that mainly i mean what i can't imagine four thousand or four million dollars worth of just computers are we talking uh, like like cisco cisco stuff? networking equipment uh they you know this was uh were they very like were they spread out they were very sp- they were spread out not they were quite a large uh educational institution well so like like marshall university has a bunch of buildings in um i think basically four square blocks well right. four actually about eight square blocks are we talking more diverse than that are we talking like no. miles away no they weren't that far away i would say they were probably two square blocks okay but you but, were just you were going to need to have lines rang you were going to need to mm-hmm. have routers between the buildings is that the idea all this every switch in every building had to be replaced mm-hmm. because they were well they were very old uh, and i'll say this about cisco if it has their name on it mm-hmm. it comes at a price yeah <laughs> so yeah. you know cisco a, P, a 48 port P, uh, poe cisco switch mm-hmm. will run you over four thousand dollars Oh, okay. So it, it's not it's not hard for that to add. No, and when you start talking about core switches and redundancy and maybe a DR plan, mm-hmm. uh, you get into well, you're going to pay for that redundancy. You, oh, you're yes. Pay for that uptime. So yeah. basically, whatever you want to pay, just double it if you want true full redundancy because you want to buy two of everything. Yeah, because you don't want it to go down. That's right. That's right. And they didn't. And. That's what this. That was just a quote for the equipment. So, I, just out of curiosity, did they go through with your quote? Were they okay with your quote? They did not, but they did actually redo everything. They oh. actually went with another company that sold them, which blew me away. D Link. I didn't know D Link made enterprise equipment, but they do. Wow, they make enterprise level switches and routers. Yeah, I, I typically when I hear the name D Link, I kind of, I kind of think. I mean, and maybe the maybe their reputations changed, but I kind of think the Kmart of, uh, oh, yeah. of networking equipment. Absolutely, I never would have myself. I would never buy D Link. I always mm-hmm. look for uh, a, more of a trusted name, like like Netgear, Netgear or Linksys, Linksys, Belkin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I was blown away. And apparently, the equipment is really rock solid. Huh. Yeah. After doing well, a little bit of research, when I found out what they got, they got some very I guess, good equipment. I guess basically I was more interested in like, there's going to have to be a cultural 
uh, change, environment change for those people because they're so accustomed to like, this is our stuff, this is our stuff. And then to get into one giant domain, people are going to have to learn to share again. They're going to have to revert back to kids and learn, no, Johnny wants to play with this too. You can let him borrow it type thing. So that was going to be an interesting culture shift. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think uh, I think you had one more story you were going to tell me about about some uh, cell phones. Oh, yeah. Um, when I was working at Alpha, I received a call from one of our customers, and it was a customer that always asked for me. Uh-huh. Um, it was a large hospital, and they were having some wireless issues. Uh, I had installed wireless in the entire building. At the time, I was actually the wireless engineer at Alpha Technologies. I had taken over that role when the other wireless en- engineer had left. Mm-hmm. And I agreed, yeah, I can come up there. And, you know, we talked over. I said, this is going to be this many. It's going to be, you know, it's two and a half hours for me to drive there. I'm like, okay, that's fine. We understand. All right. Just making sure you know, because this is, you know, basically it's unmanaged. So we'll have to bill you. I'd, and I did some troubleshooting with them on the phone just to make sure. I'm like, okay, I want you to go to this office. I want you to try it. They're like, no, it's not working. Okay. So I get in a car. I drive up there two and a half hours. Said, can you take me exactly where the problem is? Says, okay, uh, it's right here in this. This is it's this office and these three down the hall. And I look in the hall and there's a wireless access point right there. I'm like, well, it's working. I can see the blue light on it. She said, yeah, but it it doesn't. Okay, so let's go in the office. Go in the office and there's a lady sitting there at the desk. I'm like, so I hear you're having some problems with wireless. It's like, yeah. She said, well, I said, well, can I see your laptop real quick she said well, it's not my laptop it's my phone I'm like oh okay well maybe we have uh, apple is very finicky with cisco wireless we have a lot of problems with that okay so i'm thinking well let me see it and it, it is an apple and i'm like okay and i look at it and i'm like well i can get to the internet on it everything's to be working fine she's like well i can't text message huh I'm like i can't text message and she said also i just can't receive calls and that's just not acceptable I'm like, but I was like, okay, so you're, what you're saying is, is that you're, you don't have cellular service. She goes, right, I don't have wireless. I'm like, no. Those are very different. Those are very different. So, yeah, I had to explain to them, uh, there's a big difference between wireless and cell phones. Mm. So, actually, I ended up having to write two separate emails, one to the president and one to the maybe somebody else in HR, two separate uh, emails, uh, educational emails, teaching them the difference between wireless and uh, cellular wireless because they were just stumped and didn't believe that I was telling them that it wouldn't work because to them it was all one word. I have no wireless is one word. So what ended up happening was they ended up actually – I recommended a third-party company to come in and install wireless uh, cellular booster antennas on this on the roof, and then they oh, put okay. in their own uh, basically repeaters in the building. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I remember back in the day when Singular was still around, when AT and T hadn't merged with them, that um, they had like some sort of service where you could basically plug your cell phone up at the house, and like it would call you on your landline. So yeah. I knew there was bound to be some sort of way to do that. Yeah. It seems really weird that she couldn't send um, text messages while she was on Wi-Fi. Well, yeah. it's she her this building is an old concrete building. Right. And she was right dead in the middle of it. Well, I guess what I meant was, like, if you were on Wi-Fi, I don't have an iPhone. All mm-hmm. I have is an iPad. Right. But I know that with LTE, mm-hmm. I can send text messages. Or if I'm on Wi-Fi and I don't have LTE, I can do it via my Wi-Fi. So I, I just found that interesting, especially from an Apple standpoint, that if you had Wi-Fi, couldn't it just send it out via email? Or, I mean, well, send it out via, you know, the Internet. Because every phone has an IP address. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, it's just another packet, I, I would think. But <laughs> that's unusual. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I know here in this building, in our basement, um, in the HR department, they get no cellular service. Right. So, um, yeah, it definitely happens. But that's interesting that you were like, yeah, you're getting internet. <laughs> but it's a it's a failure to know the right word. So, yeah. But that was billable time. It was. And uh, 
I was just surprised. I guess I'd have taken it for granted. After you do it for a while, you become accustomed to ter- you know, terminology. That's true. Yeah. So That's true. I guess it could have been avoided if I would have asked better questions, maybe. Yeah. You know, I learned from it. It's like, yeah, I should have asked. I never really suspected it, but, you know, I right. didn't ask for specific devices and such. So, yeah. It kind of goes back to your question of, uh, well, how are you talking to me now? On the exactly. Phone? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for sitting down with me and and talking to me about your experience. And I I hope everyone out there can can take a couple of key points that that I really noticed from Greg's story. It was the idea that um, every job gives you um, more benefits than you can physically see from from pay because you got all that experience and it all helped. And I I would even think, too, that even at the the dealership and um, NGK and all those, probably even helped your communication skills you may not have done that much on the phone but even dealing with the public oh yeah be very very helpful um you're going to deal with the public if you're going to be in it around here so i think i think that's very very helpful and um you never stopped learning and you got to keep those skills to make sure you can search and find the answer because someone's found it out there so you need to be able to figure out how it is and um just to keep in mind to also i guess stay as level-headed as you can around people. I, yeah. I, I love to show the Nick Burns uh, <laughs> SNL skits that Jimmy Fallon used to do when he was on there because I love to hammer home the point that you do not want to be one of those condescending IT guys that does the move. No. And, 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 and those people are going to call you back. And if you want to make money in this world or you want to become the star person at your company where they allow you to rise through the ranks because you're making them money. Right. You need to have good personal skills. You need to be able to understand that the client doesn't have to call you. There's plenty of other people they can call. They're calling you because they're hoping that you're going to help and that you're going to be nice about it and not, not call them names or be like, well, that's an idiot question. And, um, you've just got to provide the best level of service you can. And you even mentioned there at the end that, you couldn't help you couldn't help those people, but you made sure to recommend a company right. who could fulfill their needs. And I'm sure they were very appreciative of that because they're like, He still solved our problem. He pointed us to a different company who, you know, came in and did contract work, but I like the fact that Greg figured out the answer to this. Yeah. So that's what's important. So thank you very much and everyone out there uh, hope you enjoyed this episode talking with Greg Napier and uh, have a good week and we'll see you next time